There have been many books published with the title, The Inside Story Of, The Inside Story Of the FBI, The Inside Story Of Trump's White House, The Inside Story Of Columbine, and, and so on. Multiple books, and they tend to be very popular books because they promise uh, a look behind the curtain. They promise the story behind the story. They intrigue us because they don't just tell us what happened. They tell us how it happened and why it happened. And usually in our Advent season, we focus on the outside story of Christmas, everything that is happening that's visible and heard. We focus on the what. But this Advent season, we want to focus on the inside story of Christmas. We want to look at not just the what that happened, but, but the why it happened and how it happened. And we want to look at the inside of Mary. We want to look at Mary's womb. We want to look at what I would call the womb of history. And that's the title of these series of sermons that will follow this pattern. I'm not sure you can see that very well, but it says, the womb that fulfilled history, the womb that saved history, the womb that made history, the womb that contained history, and the womb that changed history. Today we want to look at that first title, The Womb That Fulfilled History. And you might ask, why? Why would we want to focus on Mary's womb? It's maybe a bit of a, I don't know, a sensitive subject. Maybe some might feel it's a bit icky, but it's very central. It's very important to the how and the why of Christmas. So, we want to begin really by asking this question, why should Mary's womb interest me? Why, why should we spend five sermons looking at Mary's womb? Well, before we do that, we want to just explain the background to this chapter. Oftentimes, we'll, people will go straight to verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. But there's a therefore at the beginning of that verse telling us that there's something that comes before it that's important for us to fully understand this. And the history behind what led up to it is that the kingdom of Israel had been divided. It's about 700 years before Christ. So there's Israel in the north, and there's Judah, much smaller, in the south. So it's a divided nation. And Syria comes along, a very hostile nation to God's people, and joins with the northern part, Israel, in an alliance against Judah, the south part. 
And Ahaz, the king of Judah, is terrified and very tempted himself to go and build an alliance with other nations in order to beat the alliance against them. And therefore, God sends Isaiah to him and says, Ahaz, stop trusting yourself. Stop trusting your political and diplomatic and military skills. Instead, trust me alone. And offers Ahab a promise and a sign to encourage him. So that's the background that I hope will help us understand this passage much better. But let's look, first of all, at what we see here. What's the first message of this situation? It's this, we are without God. This, this passage, especially Ahaz's responses to God, really illustrate who we are as a people, who we are as sinners before God. We really try and live without God. We try and push God out. We reject His advances, and we refuse Him. And we see that in Ahaz refusing, first of all, to trust God, and then refusing to test God. We see, first of all, his refusal to trust God in verses 1 through 9. We've got this threat against them, which is really uh, a playing out of Genesis 3.15 or Psalm 2. It's really showing us the hostile forces of the devil and his agents against God's people, especially the people that would ultimately produce from Judah the Messiah. So, this is a life or death. This is a heaven or hell battle. And Ahaz doesn't see this. He just thinks it's another challenge to his skill and his wisdom, and therefore he's tempted to go his own way, turn away from God, and trust in himself. We see that in verses 1 through 3. And it sums up in verse 7. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. Ahaz is telling, God's telling Ahaz here, Ahaz, look, you've got Israel or Ephraim coming against you. You've got Syria coming against you. I'm going to give you a promise. They will fail. That won't happen. They will not defeat you. It's an amazing promise. And he promises them that ultimately Syria and its leader, Israel and its leader, will be destroyed if only he would trust God. We see, for example, in verse 9, these final words of God to Ahaz, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Saying, I'm giving you my word, I'm giving you my covenant promises, and if you do not firmly believe them, you will not be firm in your future. He's saying, if you do not confirm my promises, I will not affirm you. If you are not sure of my word, I will not assure you. Or to put it positively, if you do not amen me, and that's the word being used here, if you don't amen me, if you don't confirm me, I will not amen you. I will not confirm you. So, it's a great promise. 
that if Ahab, Ahaz believes, God will deliver him and his kingdom. But Ahaz refuses to do that. He refuses to trust God. But God doesn't give up because then he offers him a sign and says to Ahaz, look, test me. Ask me for a sign. If you don't accept my word, ask for a sign, any sign. doesn't matter how high it is, how deep it is, how difficult it is. Ask me for a sign. Verse 11, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. So it's really a stunning offer of a miracle. And what does Ahaz do? Well, we read in verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And this, this is, sounds very pious, because he's actually quoting Deuteronomy 6 here, which says, you shall not test the Lord your God. And, and it's true that if we try and test God of our own initiative, that's a sin. It's like offering a dog a, a cookie if it performs for us. We are not allowed to do that. But if God offers us, test me. Ask me anything, and I'll do it. That's not a sin. In fact, it's a stunning act of grace. And he's saying to Ahaz, Ahaz, stop your politics. Stop building up arms. Stop your diplomacy. Stop trusting this tiny pea brain of yours and put your trust in me, and I can prove my word by giving you any sign, any miracle, any supernatural act you want. And Ahaz says, no, I won't do it. Ahaz refuses God. He refuses to test him. He refuses to trust him. And so, God rebukes Ahaz in verse 10. Sorry, uh, verse 13. God said through Isaiah, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? God's saying to Ahaz, I am so tired of you. You just, you, you make me weary. You make me sick with your lack of faith, your lack of trust. So I, I'm giving up on you. I'm turning away from you. I'm not turning away from my promises and my plan, but I'm going to fulfill these promises and do that plan without you, Ahaz. Despite your unbelief, my promises will stand and my plan will be fulfilled, but you'll be left behind. I'll, be, I'll deliver my people without you. So, really, this, this passage challenges us. Are we living like Ahaz without God? Are, are we a modern-day example of Ahaz? We are refusing to trust God's Word. We have in the Old Testament and the New now multiple promises and multiple miracles calling us to trust God. And yet, what are we doing? Are we like Ahaz saying, no, no, I don't want to put my trust in you, God. I want to live without you. I want to just trust in my own self, my own thinking, my own plan. I'll, I'll put together something that will save me and that will secure me and deliver me. I, I don't need you. I can do this myself. 
And, you know, we, we read this story and we think, Ahaz, this is insanity. This is folly. And yet, we can be living it out ourselves. We could be a, just a 21st century example of Ahaz living without God. And, and if so, then God, God rebukes us too. He says, I'm tired of you. I'm tired of you refusing to trust me despite all my words and all my works, all my promises and all my miracles. You want to live without me? I can manage without you. I'll, I'll continue. I'll fulfill my plan. I'll bring in my kingdom, but you'll be left behind. You want to live without me? I grant you your wish. God can do without us, but we cannot do without God. We can try, but we'll never succeed. So, if we're in that situation, we've lived without God, we've pushed God away, we've refused to trust Him, Is there any chance God still wants to be with me? Can, can this situation be reversed? Can I change this Ahaz-like history so that it has a good ending, not a terrible one? Well, verse 14 and following tells us God is with us. Still possible. Even if we've lived many years without God, God still offers to be with us. How do we see that? Well, Ahaz rejects the promise and rejects the sign, but God gives the promise and the sign to others. And here He gives us a, a miraculous sign and a miraculous name. We see the, the, the miraculous sign in this miraculous conception. Verse 14, therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. And the you here is now plural. In other words, it's not singular Ahaz. God's turned from Ahaz. He's now speaking to the remaining people, and He says, He doesn't want a sign. But listen, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you a miracle. Behold, look at this. Pay attention. Zoom in on this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Sign here in the Hebrew means something unique, something, so, something special, something with a feature that nothing else has. And the same word in Greek means to make known. That's how sign is used in the New Testament. So, bringing together both biblical languages, what we have here is a unique sign that makes something special known. That's what he's promising. What is this? Well, he says, the virgin shall conceive. Now, there's a lot of debate and discussion and disagreement over what this term virgin means. Those who want to deny the miracle 
of the virgin birth, we'll say that virgin here simply means young woman. Well, it can mean that, and it does mean that in Hebrew and Greek literature outside of the Bible. But when we look at the use of this word in the Bible and in its context, it's always referring to a marriable young woman with an unblemished reputation. In other words, a virgin, an unmarried young woman who is a virgin. So, what's being promised here, this miracle is a special birth of a special child in a special woman that brings a special presence of God. And as with many Old Testament prophecies, there's actually a mini-fulfillment and then a major fulfillment. It's in two stages. You see that a lot in the Old Testament. It's like God makes a promise and He says, look, I'll give you a little taster, a little appetizer. I'll let you just see a little, just to encourage you that the full fulfillment will take place. And so here, you'll see in the verses following, it's clear He's referring partly to a fulfillment in the time of Ahaz and these people who are hearing this, that there will be some kind of special birth of a special child that will bring God's special presence among them. It tells us that when this child is born, the people of Judah will be in a great famine. They'll be in a terrible state. But before this child reaches the age of responsibility, God will have delivered the nation from these enemies that were threatening them. Now, we, we are not told in the Bible where this mini-fulfillment took place, who it was. Again, lots of discussion over that. But clearly, God was saying, I'm going to give you a sign that has a two-stage fulfillment, and the first stage that is a limited fulfillment and a temporary fulfillment and a minimal fulfillment will give you help, will encourage you to trust in the as-yet-future full and maximal fulfillment. So, it's not saying this first child was born of a virgin, but of some special woman, but it's saying the future child will be. So, what is miraculous about this? Well, of course, as we know, natural conception requires a man and a woman. And here we're promised a conception that only involves a woman. There's no man. It's not natural. It's not normal. It's supernatural. It's abnormal. It's not ordinary. It's extraordinary. And it's, it's amazing, you know, if you think of 700 years before where we are now, so like the 1300s, and somebody comes along and he says, there's going to be a child born in 2023 that is going to have this name. It's impossible, isn't it? No, no one's ever done that apart from God. 
No one can predict a, a child and its name 700 years down the line. But this prediction goes even further, that there will not only be a child with a special name, but will have a unique beginning. The beginning that involves only God and this woman. Why did God do this? Why, why is this so important? Why is this virgin birth so essential to Christian truth? Well, number one, it secures the Savior's sinlessness. If it was just an ordinary conception of a man and a woman, sin would have been in that conception. And as we'll see as we go through this series, it was the Holy Spirit who came upon Mary and in this supernatural conception secured the perfection and holiness of this child. There, that moment of beginning was a pure and a holy and a perfect beginning with no sin bound in it. That's why the angel says to Mary, what will be born in you is holy. But secondly, it was also to prove to us that God was doing something spectacular, something special, something extraordinary. He's basically saying, look, what could be the hardest thing for me to do? I could do anything, but tell me what you think would be the hardest. I think most of us would come up with this, at least in our top three. Okay, let a normal young woman who's still a virgin, is not married, hasn't known a man, let her have a child. And God says, okay, that's no problem, I'll do that. If it will help you believe, I'll do it. So that there's no denying this is a supernatural child. So it's a miraculous conception. And there's a miraculous name that goes along with it. And you shall call his name Emmanuel. God's, he has said, God, I don't want you with me. And God turns around and says, I'm going to be with him many, many others. Not you, Ahaz, but I'm going to be with humanity, whether you like it or not. God against us became God with us. And in the birth of Christ, which we're told in Matthew 1.23 was the fulfillment of this promise, God became with us with us in our nature, a real human body and a real human soul, with us in our condition, with all our trials and temptations and tears, with us in our circumstances, with all the trouble and pain of this world, with us in our suffering, with us in our dying. And through that becomes with us in our life and with us in our death and with us as we go to heaven, with us as we enter judgment and with us forever if we put our trust in Him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So what does this tell us? It tells us God wants to be with us. 
When you put together this miraculous conception and this miraculous name, we have unquestionable confirmation. God wants to be with us. There's no better way of proving this. And indeed, throughout the whole Old Testament, God was saying, I want to be with you. I want a covenant with you. I want you with me and me with you. And now here in this promise that was fulfilled in Christ, he says it in a just resplendent way. I want to be with you. So let's pause. Let's look at this miraculous conception. And let's hear this miraculous name. And I challenge you, deny that God wants to be with us. Can you do that? Can you still deny that? Still reject that? Is that possible? I know, I know it feels like, how can God ever want to be with me? I, even when I'm a believer at times, I don't want to be with God. and I don't want God with me. Certainly as an unbeliever, I do not want God with me, and I do not want to be with God. I don't want Him there in my life. And therefore, we, we have this inbuilt default of God cannot want me, cannot want to be with me. I sometimes don't want to be with myself. I can't understand why anyone else would want to be with me. Far less God. And yet this is saying, God wants to be with you, and therefore asks us back, do you want to be with Him? Do you want to be with Him? That's what this incarnation, this Emmanuel name says. We, we want to go to that womb, we want to pause, we want to think there, meditate there, and hear God saying to us, as we see that womb and hear that name Emmanuel, Lord, it's amazing, but you want to be with me? Is that what you're saying here? And God says back, yes, I really want to be with you. I want to live life with you. I, I, I want to be with you inside of you as well, not just beside you, but inside you. I want to fill you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your praises. I want to see you serving me. And I, I want to serve you too. I want to help you with your life. I want to go with you wherever you go. I really want to be with you. Can you hear him saying that? Can you respond, well, I trust you, Lord. I, I put my trust in this sign and I put my trust in this name. This miraculous sign and this miraculous name, I cannot but reply, Lord, please be with me and help me to be with you. So remember this, God wants to be with us more than we want to be with Him. We, we came to church this morning thinking, hoping, praying, oh, I hope God will be with me. But does he want to be with me after the week I've just had, the things I've just done? 
this Advent sign and promise says, I still want to be with you. So, why should Mary's womb interest me? Well, we see in this prediction of the womb, this prophecy that by nature we are without God, but that God wants to be with us. That is perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. And therefore, for a secure future, we've been looking back, we've been looking at prophecy and its fulfillment in the New Testament. But we're also concerned, aren't we, about the future? I want a secure future, just like Ahaz did, but trusted himself. I want that, and I'm going to trust God for it, for a secure future. Amen. Confirm, affirm, believe, put your trust in. Amen. God's name and God's sign that fulfilled history in Mary's womb. Can you do that? Will you do that? Let's come to the womb of the Virgin Mary, and let's believe in the womb of this beautiful young woman. And, and it was really saying to us, well, if, 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 I can, if I can believe that promise, which is is that not the hardest of all promises? I can believe all his promises. So, so pause at this womb. Pause at this conception. Hear God assure you, I want to be with you, and I want you with me. And get engraved on your heart through faith in this womb. I will never leave you or forsake you. Engrave that in your heart with this miraculous sign and promise. So believe at the womb. Come to this woman and stay there and linger there and meditate there and let, that, let, let the truth there just overcome you so that you say, I believe. I believe. And let's, let's worship at the womb. Too often the virgin birth is a a place of apologetics, a place of argument, a place of debate, as, as people deny this or deny that. But it's a place of worship. You know, we often come to the tomb of Jesus and worship there, and I'm saying, let's go to the womb of Jesus and worship there. Let's not bypass it. Let, let's not go straight to the birth which is where we often focus, but go inside and worship. Be utterly amazed at this fulfillment of history. Billions have been born, but only one has been born like this. And therefore, let's worship. There was only one embryo that was God and man. Look at the beginning of life. There was one of these implanted by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary that was God and man. Fully God, 
fully man. You can worship the baby Jesus. You can worship the embryo Jesus. There's no less God and no less man. This beginning of life is the beginning of our life and is a life giver. Let's pray. Emmanuel, thank you for your promise to be with us. Thank you for keeping that promise in Mary's womb. Give and strengthen our desire to be with you, with your desire to be with us. Amen.